Obesity is a health-related outcome. It's not a behavior. And that eat less, move more rhetoric goes back to the simplistic message of changing weight status really quickly. Not only is it something that we shouldn't be tolerating, but also the empirical evidence tells us that it will have a detrimental impact on people. Hello and welcome to Slice in Time with me, Linda, host of Whitlands, What I Didn't Learn in Medical School, a platform for discussing topics that are typically not taught, glossed over or approached from the wrong angles in medicine and public discourse. As always, remember to follow me at Whitlims and to check out the show notes on lindadoes.com where all resources mentioned during the episode and more will be linked. Please note that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. This week, I'm so pleased to be able to bring to you a discussion with Dr. Stuart Flint, who I saw give a talk in 2017 which really stuck with me. He's an associate professor of the psychology of obesity at the University of Leeds, president of Scaled Insights as well as the director of Obesity UK. We spoke about weight stigma, how conscious and unconscious bias manifests, as well as empirical evidence on its prevalence and impact. We also talk about the importance of language and of course the UK government's new strategy to tackle obesity and so much more. This discussion raised ideas I had not considered myself before and I'm so excited to be bringing it to you, in case you couldn't tell already. Let's get into it. So for people that don't know, would you be happy to define weight stigma? Yeah, so weight stigma is, a, is an interesting concept that's, that's used quite broadly, um, often to describe stereotypes or misconceptions uh, that are based in and around typically people living with obesity, but more generally across the weight spectrum. Um, so there are stereotypes about people who may be defined as thin, people who might be defined uh, within the obesity bracket. Um, but certainly there are stereotypes that we have about people based on their different weight statuses, and they're driven by a number of different sources within society. But we have these stereotypes or these negative attitudes towards people based on, on weight status. Um, now, Weight stigma more generally will also encompass um, bias. So um, for those people who are looking at the literature, um, you'll also see weight bias being used and weight bias may well reflect both a attitudinal uh, as well as behavioral process and of course discrimination and discrimination uh, may manifest itself in a number of different ways from bullying to other forms of discrimination in terms of the way that we often treat people. So weight stigma is a, is a broad term that encompasses a lot, but ultimately it's to reflect a negative attitude or stereotypes towards people based on weight status. Great, thank you. And yeah, I think pe- people will often forget, I mean, we think more about obesity, but of course it's about the other spectrum as well. People do get affected too. Very much so. My next question was going to be, you mentioned a bit that it can lead to bullying, for example. And Mm. yeah, I was wondering, you know, what about people that think, you know, why does it matter? Because isn't obesity bad? Isn't extreme thinness bad? So shouldn't we see it as a disease and make people change? So firstly, in terms of um, the evidence around weight stigma, what we actually know, and it actually it's it's opposite to what we we're commonly told within society. Weight stigma actually has a very negative impact on people. So you'll often see this common misconception that stigmatizing people can be beneficial, Mm. that stigmatizing people can lead to or increase people's desire to want to change their weight status. Um, But actually what we know, the empirical evidence actually tells us that for the majority of people, it has a very negative impact. And that could be for a variety of different ways. It could be 
that uh, it impacts people in terms of uh, impacting their eating rate of behaviours. So for some people, eating rate of behaviours may worsen. For other people, it might reduce their uh, their desire or motivation to engage in physical activity or exercise. It might also impact their access to healthcare, particularly where people have experienced weight stigma in healthcare settings. So actually it has a very negative impact on people. Mm. Uh, and that's more of the behavioral elements. But what we also know is that weight stigma has a very negative impact on people in terms of mental health. So we know that those experiences of weight stigma uh, are often associated with greater levels of anxiety, uh, body image concern, and other. Um, we know that um, levels of depression are often higher in, in people who experience weight stigma. Um, so actually has a very negative impact in terms of mental health. And we do also see associations with physical health. So we have um, seen that experiences of weight stigma have increased cardiometabolic risk factors. That's great. So essentially, even if someone was to try and shame someone into losing weight, for example, or gaining weight, and even if it came from a place of quote unquote, meaning well, it's the science shows that it's counterproductive then. Exactly. The evidence shows that ultimately experiences of weight stigma for the majority of people has a very negative impact on people and, and does not lead to changes in behavior that are often described as, as a reason for stigmatizing people. But actually, more generally, you know, we have to ask the question, you know, should we tolerate people stigmatizing others or discriminating towards other or bullying other people? Well, actually, we shouldn't be doing anyway. Mm. Um, so not only is it something that we shouldn't be tolerating, but also the empirical evidence tells us that it will have a detrimental impact on people. Absolutely. And so how does weight stigma manifest? Because, I mean, some people might be thinking, you know, that sounds terrible, but I would never discriminate based on weight. But isn't it more subtle than that as well? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, so weight stigma can be very conscious. So for some people, they're very explicit in terms of their, their stigma and discrimination. And, and, and linking back to what I've just mentioned, some people will believe that stigma is, is beneficial and be very open in terms of their stigmatizing comments or uh, discriminatory behavior towards people. And for some people, we may have seen, for instance, um, to give an example, there's been comments by some people within media where they've suggested, for instance, that people living with, a, with, with obesity are more lazy or I would not want to hire somebody who is living mm. with obesity or other. So that's very explicit as a very conscious um, level to stigmatizing people. But actually what we do know is that there is an unconscious level to the way that we may act towards people. And that's really where we're looking at that unconscious bias as such. And that's been demonstrated in a lot of different literature. There's been literature from the early 2000s, um, which has looked at, for instance, how far people might choose to sit from uh, a person living with obesity compared to a person who is without obesity, often defined within normal weight categories, for instance. And what we ultimately see is that people will sit further away. Um, what we also see is that literature has shown this bias to be very evident in other areas within society. Quite recently, or relatively recently, there's been work that's looked at, for instance, um, uh, ratings of suitability to, uh, to different types of jobs. And again, we see that people living with obesity are rated as less suitable. 
Um, but what you also see is that uh, in some instances, and this was a hypothetical um, piece of work, which was conducted in the US, and they were looking at jury's decisions on whether somebody was guilty or not. Mm. And they were simply comparing a person living with obesity with exactly the same information about the potential crime compared to a person without obesity again, for the same information. And the person living with obesity was more likely to be um, decided as guilty compared to a person without obesity. Mm. Um, and that effect was actually exacerbated for females. Um, so okay. a female living with obesity was even more likely to be identified as guilty compared to uh, a male living with obesity. Mm. I imagine that would intersect with race as well for people. Very much so. Uh, and that effect also is, is evident with ethnicity. And what I should also just note there is that effect, that exacerbated effect for females living with obesity compared to males living with obesity has been shown in other areas as well. Uh, not always, but typically weight stigma is stronger when um, it's directed towards females compared to males. Mm. Yeah, that's probably to do with expectations. I mean, there's probably a lot more about societal attitudes towards women um, as well. I think so. And I think also, I mean, this is certainly theoretical, but um, I think this is also about uh, the fact that typically females will be judged more on appearance compared to mm. males uh, and, and weights in particular is certainly associated more with females compared to males. Yes, yeah, so I'd like to talk a little bit about weights and COVID. So I saw that you... Mm part of writing your response to it was a bit earlier in the year was it may or so about how mm. obesity or a bmi over 40 specifically i think is seen as a as an independent or has been named as an independent risk factor for covid19 um, and weight has also been designated as an independent risk factor for many other conditions i'm sure you're familiar with the the whole health at every size um theory and you know health behaviors mattering more than weight and I was just wondering, because I'd be interested to hear as, you know, this is within your line of work. Do you see obesity and weight as a problem and something that should be approached at all in consultations? As I mean, this is a podcast that's directed a bit more towards medical professionals. And I mean, if yes, how should one approach it without being stigmatizing? You know, or maybe is that not really something that we should be, you know, teaching future healthcare professionals to be talking about at all? Yeah. So, so ultimately, we, we do need to move away from what is often described as the problematization of obesity, and that is ultimately describing obesity as a problem. Mm. What we should focus on, um, and that's bearing in mind that people will always come in different sizes and shapes, heights, weights, and so on, is that you know, people, we, we should really be focusing on people's health. And their objective health measures are clearly important. Um, what we also should be focused on is health behaviours. And health behaviours, we know, will lower somebody's risk and will also uh, lead to a number of uh, you know, positive benefits for people. Um, now, that's not to say that there isn't associations between obesity with both mental and physical health concerns. Um, and we should be conscious of that. But what we shouldn't be doing is, is moving down the line of suggesting that obesity is a problem. But actually, what we need to be doing is approaching obesity in any way that we would um, approach any other health related condition. And that is really what I see as being lost when we 
support and work with people living with obesity. Mm. Um, uh, and what I typically like to focus on here is, is feelings of compassion and empathy and support, which I do believe is lost in terms of how we talk, how we communicate, uh, but also in terms of, uh, I guess, more medical or healthcare related settings and um, how we actually potentially treat patients who come into clinic. Now, I don't think there would be many people listening to this podcast who would think that we shouldn't um, you know, support somebody potentially living with, with diabetes or with, with cancer or, or other health conditions with some, uh, some empathy and some compassion. And we do know that actually empathy, compassion, um, hope, optimism, they're all things that can lead to more beneficial outcomes or positive outcomes. People will feel more supported. Now, we don't often see that with obesity. Mm. We may well see that with cancer, but we don't see that with obesity. What we typically see with obesity is much more fear, much more alarmist behavior. We talk about obesity in a very pessimistic fashion. And that ultimately is a much more detrimental approach to be taking with people. It's less likely to lead to, um, to changes and certainly changes longer term. Uh, and so when we compare the way that we approach some patients compared to others, actually we should be approaching all patients in the same fashion. And as I've, as I've mentioned, hope and optimism are more likely to lead to more beneficial outcomes compared to pessimism and fear. Um, and that's a clear distinction I see, not only in terms of healthcare and, and the way that we approach patients in, in medical settings, but actually also in terms of communication. And if you look at communication in, uh, for example, media portrayal, if you look at the way that we communicate in policy uh, or healthcare documents, there's actually quite a striking difference. Mm. And um, that sets the tone within society. And so, you know, I would say that actually there's no wonder that stigma discrimination is so evident and so prevalent within our society. And when we look at the levels of stigma towards um, obesity compared to other health conditions, they're off, it's often much higher. Mm. Yeah. No, I also remember seeing these, uh, it's quite striking when you put images together from various media outlets and obese people are usually represented you know without their faces in the picture and eating fast food and of course we'll get on to the obesity strategy later as well but of course if all this messaging is occurring you know it's going to affect how people view people in larger bodies yeah very very much so what i would quickly just say there is that often these these images not only encourage certain stereotypes so as you said pictures of, of people living with obesity are often either very much in a sedentary pose mm. uh eating junk food or other and the and this is really to continue this stereotyping that people living with obesity are are, are typically gluttonous or slothful i.e we can actually trace a lot of the stereotypes and the, the stigma around obesity back to moral moral discourse and ultimately, those two um, moral sins as such are often attached to obesity. Mm. Uh, and that's why I think, um, in particular, stigma is, is so strong uh, when directed towards people living with obesity. Exactly. I'll be linking some of your research as well in the show notes. And in particular, if people are interested, there was a recent paper in The Lancet where you were comparing the language used in cancer versus obesity, which, you know, you were saying that you could do the same for many other health conditions. But... Yeah, it's quite striking the, the difference there. Very much so. 
One other thing I'll quickly pick up there as well, and actually we've seen it in a number of instances. I've raised this in national debates, but I've given national talks in, in Wales and Scotland last year in, uh, in the autumn and more recently in different places within England. But actually, if you look at different health care websites and information and so on, when you look at where obesity is often placed, it's often placed alongside health-related behaviors. Now, mm. obesity is a health-related outcome. It's not a behavior. So obesity really, when we're providing information about obesity, we should really be seeing obesity um, you know, listed alongside cancer and diabetes and other health-related conditions. But actually what we typically see is that obesity is uh, within a group alongside you know, often physical activity, smoking, drug or alcohol use or other, and their behaviors, they're not outcomes. So actually that also has an impact in, in terms of the way that people think about obesity compared to other health-related outcomes. And that's also pushing, I guess, this comparison with, uh, for instance, smoking. I'm sure you will have seen um, in many instances over the last year or so, this rhetoric that obesity is the new smoking and so on. And, mm. and whilst we could possibly talk about some, I guess, relationship in terms of some of the prevalence, these two things are incomparable. One is an outcome and one is a behavior. They shouldn't be compared. But to think that actually when we look at our national healthcare information that goes out to the public, to see that actually a health outcome is grouped alongside behaviors and not alongside outcomes, even though it seems relatively simple, um, actually that, that gives a, an unconscious message to people. And that's why obesity is often talked about in the media too, alongside behaviors rather than outcomes. Obesity is often seen as an individual choice as such. So there is a lot of blame that comes with it. And um, um, <laughs> I've done my, my background reading, but I thought it was very interesting as well. This um, this four country study that ask study, it's an acronym um, um. that was looking at yeah attitudes to obesity. And when talking about obesity and, and weight management, people will talk about how it's preventable and maybe reversible. And thus, by doing that, you know, they imply that there is a choice, an individual choice, um, mm. even though I think people try to be positive and empowering when they're doing that. And what the, the study showed, as I understand it as well, was that people who hold this belief, seeing obesity as something that is preventable, including healthcare professionals, also had higher levels of weight stigma. Was that right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, so there's a number of important points here that you've raised that I, I'll try to touch on. Mm -hmm. Firstly is, you're totally right. Now, the prevalence of weight stigma is very high. In some studies where we've done cross-country comparisons, um, we've shown that weight stigma actually is higher in the UK compared to other countries, including um, US, Iceland, and other European countries. Now, what I would also say here is that actually it shouldn't be a major surprise to people because almost daily we're receiving stigmatizing media content and other that reinforces these stereotypes, as reinforces these different stigmas, um, and that often in many instances encourages stigma and discrimination towards people living with obesity. So, so it isn't right and that we definitely shouldn't have stigma uh, towards people based on weight status and there's a real need to eradicate weight stigma. But what I would also say is that, you know, we shouldn't also be surprised given what we're receiving on almost a daily basis. So I think that's firstly an important point. Now, in terms of the ASK study, we collected data from a variety of different countries. We had uh, nationally representative samples in the UK, in the US, uh, Australia, New Zealand. And then we also had uh, samples of healthcare professionals from just over 70 different countries. 
And what we were ultimately looking at was level of stigma, um, stigma towards people with different health conditions. And we measured uh, both stigma, but we were also looking at any differences between the general population and healthcare professionals. Uh, and then one other thing I should mention there is that with the healthcare professionals, we were also looking at um, how comfortable they were in terms of potentially supporting people living with obesity who might come to their clinic or other, and their decision-making in terms of potential support or treatment were relevant. So you're totally correct. Um, and this is an association that we ultimately see where obesity is perceived to be more controllable we see that there's higher levels of stigma. And that relationship is very strong. And that relationship has been reported probably for, you know, around about 20 odd years, but in different contexts. So if I believe that obesity is controllable, ultimately what we're finding here is that because I believe it's more controllable, and I believe that people can ultimately therefore avoid uh, weight gain, I'm more likely to stigmatize people. And that's because people typically will believe therefore that I can uh, assign blame towards that individual okay so you've mm. gained weight you've moved into the obesity range or whatever that is but ultimately that is because it's controllable and what we also therefore see is that people who i guess are more aware of the uncontrollable causes of obesity and they are vast um, they ultimately have a lower level of stigma and if we really want to look at the different causes of obesity um and these are multi-level, these different factors interact. And back in 2007, there was actually a very important piece of work that was mm. published, uh, and that was called the Foresight Report. And that was something that was um, developed from the UK government. They had a range of different experts who collated that evidence. And that report was produced, and they also produced a map, which people can see online. But that really showed the complex nature of obesity. So the seven different domains uh, across uh, genetics, psychology, uh, environmental factors, and so on. But there's over 100 different factors that are within the foresight report that we know may increase somebody's likelihood of gaining weight and ultimately leading to, to obesity. So when people, I guess, simplify obesity down to a matter of simply eating, e eating too much and taking too little exercise, well, that's very simple. Um, and that doesn't really convey the complexity of obesity that actually is evidenced. And one thing I would say here is that that was published in 2007, and there's yeah. been substantial work in the area of obesity as obesity has become uh, more of an important topic for scientists, but also more generally across the population. And actually, there's a lot, uh, a lot more data, a lot more evidence that needs to be contributed to that piece of work. And so the complexity of obesity is much wider. And just finally on that, um, within those over 100 different factors, there's many factors that are uncontrollable as well as controllable. And when I'm talking about uncontrollable, what uh, is often reported from a general population perspective is, is some of the genetic influences on obesity. And they're very clear. There's a lot of very strong work that's emanated from you know, different scientists mm -hmm. across the country, including some of the work from, for instance, uh, the Faruqi Lab in, in Cambridge, but elsewhere too. But that goes beyond genetics. What we're also possibly, you know, potentially talking about is some of the uncontrollable factors that might influence our behavior, whether that's our social behavior, whether that's physical activity behavior, whether that's our food and drink consumption related behavior that might be in and around the environment, for instance. Now, none of us, or typically uh, none of us will have uh, control over the amount of, for instance, marketing that we might well be exposed to. Um, yeah. 
right now, of course, we're in lockdown because of COVID. And so we're probably receiving a lot of information via um, social media, uh, mm-hmm. if we're on you know, Twitter and, and so on, uh, or on the web, but also potentially when we're, we're out and about in our localities. And a lot of that marketing is very much subconscious as well. You know, we're taking in lots of information and we're not really potentially, you know, paying too much attention to mm-hmm. uh, the different marketing that's, that's actually uh, occurring in and around. And, and we may well be exposed to over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different sources of marketing every single day. You know, a typical walk that you might do on a, on a daily basis or, or maybe you walk to work or you walk to the park or whatever that might be. You could probably remember, you, well, you certainly remember the, the road that you walk along. Um, you might walk past a, a number of different shops. Most people wouldn't remember the adverts that you might see in the windows, et cetera. But actually, subconsciously, we're still taking those in. And that will mm. still influence. So I'm moving away slightly there. But ultimately, That's okay. yeah, ultimately, there's a lot of different uh, factors that contribute to weight gain and potentially to, to obesity. It's much more complex, much more multifaceted and multi-level than we're led to believe. Unfortunately, since the 2007 Foresight Report, um, what we actually see is that the amount of information uh, going to the public and the type of information going to the public is actually uh, enforcing an opinion that obesity is, is simple, mm. when actually the evidence clearly tells us that obesity is, is very complex. Absolutely. No, thank you. There are so many, so many good points there. It's quite frustrating how there is so much evidence and science and knowledge about how simplifying obesity is just not the way and how weight stigma and blaming people is not the way yet it's just so it still remains in society is there any sort of research or ideas that you have yourself personally perhaps on why they're so still so prevalent despite us having this knowledge are there any stakeholders that are benefiting from weight stigma or is Mm. it just human nature being cruel yeah. So ultimately, it's a difficult question to answer in terms of mm. um, who could be benefiting or other. But ultimately, thinking about obesity as a very simple you know, health outcome, thinking that we can change obesity very quickly, very rapidly, very easily, not only is counterintuitive, but it's actually it's not aligned with the, the evidence. Um, so I've just been telling you about how complex obesity is. Those messages that we receive not only simplify obesity, but also tell people information that's often quite inaccurate. So I'm sure we all would have seen, whether it's in magazines or or other media that suggests, you know, you can lose four stone in one month or whatever that might be. And those things are just, for for the majority of people, are not attainable. And for those people who, who, who may lose weight, often people don't maintain weight loss. And actually what we see is people gain weight. Um, and actually there's quite a lot of evidence that suggests that for some people, people living with obesity, um, and often there's a cutoff point. Um, I wouldn't tell you specifically what that cutoff point is. Uh, a lot of people talk about a BMI of around about 35 and above. But what we do certainly see is that there's quite a bit of evidence that suggests that people living with obesity towards the higher end, when they lose weight, actually will gain weight. And often in many instances, gain more weight from where mm. they actually first started. Yep. So um, simply trying to, to change weight in a very quick fashion is, is often not sustainable. And actually, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive to think about obesity as something that you can change very quickly. Now, if you look at the definitions of obesity, and there's, there's quite a few different definitions, but one of the things that's very evident throughout all of the definitions is that it's chronic. Okay? Mm. And we're talking about 
a chronic health, health outcome often. And we're talking about ultimately a chronic difference in terms of uh, this energy balance as such. So it doesn't make sense that we then tell people that you can change a chronic outcome with a, an acute solution. Those things don't make sense. Absolutely. So if people have gained weight, for instance, over five, six, seven years, why would we then tell the public, well, actually, you can change your weight within two, three months? Mm. That doesn't make sense. So we have to be realistic in terms of those messages that go out. Now, that's not always going to suit certain people. Uh, it's not always going to suit policymakers. It's not always going to suit um, healthcare providers or other because people want quick solutions. Yeah. And, you know, if we're going to develop different types of policy, for instance, you know, people want to have outcomes and they want to be able to demonstrate success with their policies. Now, again, you know, I wouldn't be able to say um, these things are actually happening, but, you know, how many politicians will want to develop policies that ultimately you won't see success on for maybe two, three, four years? Well, my term might only be one year or two years. Mm. So, you know, there might be more of a reluctance to develop certain types of policies where, you know, you aren't. Uh, able to turn around to the public and show success, for instance. And obviously, I, I, I talk about success and success might mean something very different for different people. Um, but often success from, from this perspective is talked about as weight loss. But actually, we should be looking at success much more holistically in terms of the potential impact on health. Uh, and that potential impact might, uh, might also include and should actually also include uh, impacts on quality of life and, and, and well-being and, and mental health because actually that's what we are supporting people we're not just supporting people with a, a certain outcome you're supporting people in terms of their health and their health status so actually we should be looking at success as something that's much wider it can be measured much wider and it's going to support people more holistically in terms of their management of health absolutely i couldn't agree more i mean i'm uh... A strong advocate for lifestyle medicine and uh, although I know that there definitely is some weight stigma as part of that in in the thinking mm -hmm. that people have but ultimately yep. I'm hopeful that that's the main message that most people would be agreeing with and I think that this is a perfect time now to go on to talk a little bit about policy you've already touched on it in public health so um, I would love to center that discussion around the new obesity strategy um and you were just saying you know needs to be any change needs to be sustainable and needs to be slow but you know this is a new strategy as part of a war in obesity that's you know it's a drive with so much enthusiasm so it's really already just by the all of the you know words that have been used around it, it's already sounding like it's exactly what it shouldn't be um, I'm not sure if anyone everyone listening is aware of exactly all of the the ins and outs of it and they don't necessarily need to be but I would be interested to hear if you think that there are any good points that have been raised as part of it and then I'm sure that you'd agree that there is stuff lacking um, and it does in my opinion perpetuate weight stigma and this whole blaming individuals without addressing many of the other factors that we know the science has shown and the foresight report has shown are drivers behind obesity as well yeah so a lot of uh, again important points that you've mentioned then i'll try to remember them all to, to be able to, to to respond here um certainly straight away i would say that some of the language 
uh, is very problematic and needs to uh, be changed. You, you, you referred to there, for instance, um, you know, terminology that we've seen over the years, which is very combative. Yeah. Uh, using those kinds of phrases, phrases like a war on obesity, you know, that, that type of rhetoric um, often has a very detrimental impact. Actually, you know, people uh, don't respond well to that type of terminology, that kind of um, you know, war on obesity or eradicating obesity, mm. all that types of that, that, that types of language. Uh, may lead to defensiveness and, and uh, in some instances aggression and other and, and that's what we shouldn't see actually you know health more generally uh, as I've alluded to earlier should be something that we're supportive of and we're supporting people and we're working together to improve improve health so yes language in and around uh, the campaign and that's within the campaign but also around the campaign and that's the supportive media that's the the other institutions that are supporting government which might be healthcare, which might be NHS might be healthcare, might be uh, workplaces, schools, etc., because ultimately it's about society working together. Um, you know, we need to really think about the language that we're using and whether that's something that uh, is supporting people or whether that actually that's something that's going to lead to more negative outcomes potentially or negative opinions. In terms of the, the campaign itself, let's start with positives. The positives that I see with the campaign are not about obesity, but about population health. Yeah. I would actually say that this is a strand that I see with a lot of the government responses to obesity, you know, for a long, long time. Um, a lot of the measures that's been taken are population health. They're not specifically actions that are actually going to support people living with obesity per se, um, but they're population health interventions. But because they are described as measures to often uh, terminology used as addressing or tackling obesity, that's how people see them mm. rather than as population health related um, interventions. So yes, um, you know, Increasing physical activity can be beneficial, but actually that's beneficial for everybody. Yeah. Everybody should benefit from increasing physical activity. And what we've actually seen during COVID, for instance, is that more generally physical activity levels have declined for a lot of people. Um, and physical activity can be beneficial for everybody, not only in terms of physical health and fitness, but also in terms of mental health. And actually during COVID, and certainly at the moment, as we've moved through the pandemic, there needs to be much more of a focus on mental health and supporting mental health and well-being across the population. Mm. So yes, increasing physical activity can be beneficial. And for most people, improving diet can be beneficial. And again, that's not about obesity per se. For everybody, we could, um, you know, we could identify people who, you know, who are right across the weight spectrum who would benefit from reducing sugar intake, from reducing salt, you know, and other. Those things are much more population health rather than interventions that should be specifically about um, obesity. And I actually think this, as I say, is, is a common thread. If you look back at, for instance, the soft drinks industry levy, again, reducing sugar intake, but it was brought in as part of the childhood obesity strategy. Yeah. But actually, again, it's something that will benefit population health. Now, is you know, reducing sugar content in drinks going to change the prevalence of obesity? No, it's not. Um, is it going to you know, benefit people? Yes, over time and over a long period of time. You know, where I see that it might have a, a, a beneficial impact, particularly when we're talking about childhood health, is possibly around dental health. You know, that's where you might see some, some benefits. Mm. Um, but in terms of levels of obesity, well, we already know that obesity is extremely complex and there's a lot of other factors that contribute to people's weight and weight status. So um, I don't see that as an obesity-specific intervention. It, yes, it will benefit people with obesity, 
to some aspects, but it's more something that will benefit the population. You will have seen, for instance, that there was, uh, for, in some instances, public upset with the soft drinks industry levy when that was brought in, etc. Often, in many instances, the reason that people were upset about it was because people thought that it was an intervention that was brought in uh, because, uh, because of people living with obesity. That's often how it was described. Yeah. Now, that's because that's the way the government described it. So they're not wrong in that. Um, but ultimately, then it became a, a matter of, well, why am I having to pay more for sugary drinks because of people living with obesity? So actually mm. then, again, it led to this cycle of blaming people living with obesity for saying, actually, it's because of people living with obesity who, um, you know, for the reason why I now have to pay more for my sugary drinks or so on. So actually, it was quite counterproductive in terms of levels of weight stigma. Mm. So... That's what I see in terms of many of these, these different interventions and measures being brought in by the government. What we, we now see in terms of the Better Health campaign that's been brought out by uh, UK government is that there's a load of different messages, but these messages, again, centre around simplistic messages of eat less, move more. Yeah. And that eat less, move more rhetoric, so without old. sounding like a broken record, <laughs> goes back to the yeah. simplistic message of changing weight status really quickly. Um, now, the Better Health campaign work moves towards the NHS 12-week app. For some people, you know, over 12 weeks, you might be able to reduce weight status or other. Uh, and just quickly there, again, I think it should be wider than weight, you know, in terms of what we're looking at. But we're talking about 12 weeks. How many people are going to lose a significant amount of weight within 12 weeks and um, but more importantly yeah. how many will then keep it off who how many will maintain it well you might have a person living with obesity for instance who for argument's sake let's say have a bmi of 40 um well after 12 weeks they might do extremely well uh, and when i say extremely well extremely well in terms of the, the metrics used uh, within this campaign they might reduce their their bmi to 38 or 37 you know, 12 weeks, it's, it's not going to make uh, a significant difference in terms of supporting people living with obesity. What we actually need is considerations of a much more holistic um, intervention that's longer term, that can support people with the different, I guess, complexities of obesity. Because one of the things that is really overlooked, and I could actually name, you know, name many, but one of the things that's overlooked, for instance, right now is, is often the psychology of obesity. Behaviors don't happen without a cognition behind them. You know, until we start addressing the way that people might think consciously or subconsciously, then actually are we really dealing with some of the psychology around obesity? So whether that's psychology around eating and eating-related behaviors, whether that's psychology relating to the way that I might uh, perceive myself or my body in terms of body image concerns or social physique anxiety, um, you know, whether that's um, the way that I might go on to interact with other people, um, you know, all of these things will actually will impact our health-related behavior and ultimately, therefore, in many instances, behaviors that might be associated with weight. So... Ultimately, I see the campaign as very simplistic, as something that is much more focused on population health rather than supporting people living with obesity. And because of the simplistic approach that's, often, that's been used in some instances, it may well perpetuate weight stigma. Um, and some of the, the media, the video clips and images, what I'll firstly say is they're much better than what they used to be. But actually, instead, in, in some instances, they're still quite stigmatizing. Mm. And, um, you know, there's a lot more work that can be done. Uh, but now we're actually we've moved to a certain point where there's there's a, there's a whole raft of different researchers, different charities, advocates, etc., 
that the government should be leaning on and we should be co-creating these types of policies. And if we can do those types of things, then we can hopefully reduce the potential instances of stigmatizing content and other uh, and improve the the approaches that are often used related to supporting people's health more generally. Mm. Hopefully is the, is the key word. It's almost fascinating to see how there definitely are so many advocates, researchers, and like I said before, that the evidence is there, yet they would recommend something like a 12-week, very restrictive diet. I've mentioned this in another episode. We know that drastic calorie restriction doesn't work in the long term. And then there's a whole lot of talk as well about how calorie labeling of menus and so on will be eating disorder inducing and how that how it's just not helpful. And I just don't, it's probably like naive to say, but I just don't understand how there can be all this evidence. And mm. even going back to 2007, and I'm sure there were things before the Foresight Report as well, but mm-hmm. pointing in the other direction and yet this is what's happening. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it has been raised. It's been raised by, uh, you know, a lot of different uh, individuals and groups and charities. Um, and, we, and we do need to be conscious of any unintended consequences of these different policies and interventions and so on. And, and unfortunately, in the space of obesity, um, and we could go back to, for instance, the you know, Cancer Research UK campaign relating to obesity, there are un- unintended consequences for people. And we need to be aware of those potential impacts. So, you know, there is a discussion around, for instance, menu labeling. Mm. Now, for some people, menu labeling could be beneficial, but for others, it could be quite detrimental and it might impact people's relationship with food. And and again, these are things that we need to be more conscious of. You know, we need to really make sure that we've done sufficient, uh, you know, background work and um, gathered as much evidence about the different types of interventions that we think we're going to bring into society to ensure that we not only minimize, but hopefully actually eliminate any potential that there's going to be unintended consequences for different groups. Mm. So, you know, certainly those things are, are important for us to consider. What we also might want to consider is, is the whole framing of the way that we approach these things. Now, going back to the campaign, uh, the campaign was was described and there was, a, there was this phraseology used as a, as a kind of wake-up call. Mm. And that it certainly isn't, isn't, isn't the case because ultimately we're talking about is eating healthier, doing physical activity and other. Now, everybody knows that physical activity is beneficial. Yeah. And, you know, most people know that, well, all people know that eating healthy is beneficial, um, but we might we need to know more about what eating healthy means and so on. But when we're talking about a, a 20, 30 second clip, which basically is trying to tell people, well, you know, it's a wake up call and we need to change some of these different behaviors. Well, it's not a wake up call. These are things that we've known for a long, long time. Yeah. And actually that goes back to the strap line that's, that's been used for 20, 30 years. So it certainly isn't. What we actually want to see is uh, an appreciation of the wider determinants relating to obesity um, or health more generally that continue to be overlooked. Now, what we do know is that one of the the very strong links between health more generally and obesity is no different. One of the strongest relationships is with poverty Mm. uh, and deprivation. Uh, And so that's why we see the prevalence of obesity, but also the prevalence of, for instance, uh, depression or or other health conditions, diabetes and so on, as higher in the more deprived areas. So some of those wider social determinants are actually things that continue to be overlooked. Mm. And actually they're important pieces of the jigsaw that actually we need to start addressing because we keep talking about those and governments talk about these things to a certain point, but they still get overlooked in terms of the new policies that come out. Absolutely. Yeah. Health inequalities 
must be addressed as well as the root cause for sure. Exactly. This podcast is called What I Didn't Learn in Medical School and hopefully mm. all of the discussion is helpful and educational and interesting. But mm. what is one thing that you wish was a bit more of a focus? If you could give advice to future healthcare practitioners, future doctors, what should be emphasized more that isn't? Um, I think if I'm talking to all healthcare professionals, then probably the most important piece of information, uh, because clearly not everybody can support people of all different backgrounds and so on, um, in terms of more specific health-related information. But what we can certainly do is try to approach everybody equally. And then if we look at the, the core value of the NHS, it is to provide equal opportunities, equal access for people to come into healthcare and receive the right types of healthcare based on um, you know their, their uh, the reason that they're visiting um, you know a healthcare setting, and if there are opportunities for us to reflect on the way that we might approach people of different backgrounds, different health conditions, then we should certainly take those. Um, I think that if there's more that we can do in terms of supporting people, improving the language that we're using with people. Um, using language that can be more supportive and might lead to more desirable outcomes, then there are certainly things that all healthcare professionals can potentially do. Um, in terms of obesity, um, obesity doesn't sit within the majority uh, of medical degrees. Many people might not cover any education relating to obesity. Mm. And ultimately, given the prevalence of, of overweight and obesity, is highly likely that people will be at some point supporting people living with obesity so increasing our education and awareness about what obesity is the complex nature of obesity and listening to people really listening to people because um, yes it's extremely complex and that means that we might not necessarily understand everything to do with uh, with obesity but if we listen to people and we can empathize with people and we can show compassion then you know that's a key part of that patient practitioner relationship and that will certainly provide some reassurance to people who may be attending healthcare settings nobody should be attending healthcare sessions with fear that they might be treated unfairly mm -hmm. uh, might be stigmatized and might not receive the, the right types of advice or treatment and unfortunately that continues to be the case even 30 40 years after data which was telling us empirical evidence was telling us that people who living with obesity are discriminated against in healthcare settings absolutely so do you think that it would be better to let someone bring up weight themselves if they want to address that at all and should we stop asking i know that one of the sort of the government guidelines um is to like ask a patient like a bit out of the blue kind of do you uh -huh. mind if i weigh you sort of thing uh -huh. i don't know if you have any um i think we, we sort of touched on this earlier but if there's a, uh -huh. a better approach yeah well certainly in terms of um the way to talk to people based on weight now in many instances there are different terminology that's more accepted and um certainly within more healthcare settings, uh, research and other, we often see person-first language as being the most acceptable, uh, but we must also know that that's not always the case. Some advocates are very much um, in the line of feeling that um, using the word fat is, is a more acceptable term mm -hmm. compared to others. Now, what I would always suggest is that we start with a much more neutral term, and that is weight. So we've 
somebody is going to talk or ask about weights, then we should ask the, the person who's come into the consultation how they might want to refer to their weight and if they would uh, be happy to use the word obesity or they would be happy to use the word fat, then, you know, let's use those words because if they're going to be more, uh, they're the more accepting terms that are used by the patient, um, that's going to allow the patient to feel much more comfortable and, and, and engage in terms of that uh, relationship then I would certainly say, you know, let's be flexible in our approach in terms of terminology. Let's not believe that there's one size fits all. We already know there's no one size fits all for most things within health and, and healthcare, uh, the way we might interact with patients. So, you know, let's, let's listen to the, to the person who comes in healthcare setting and let's, let's use the neutral term of weight and ask um, people to disclose what they would like uh, the term to be used at, within that consultation. Mm. Great. Yeah, thank you. That's some good stuff to think about for sure there. Like you say, we, we don't really get taught about the, all the nuances and how to approach this, despite obviously going, we'll, we'll be faced with it once we start working. So no, thank you so much. This has been really beneficial to me and interesting, and I'm sure that listeners would agree as well. I'll be linking to some of the research and papers that we've mentioned, but is there mm -hmm. anything, um, any other reading or research that you would recommend looking into people that are more interested at all or yeah there's from a, from a more population health in terms of weight stigma you know there's lots of you know really great research papers that have come out of the the rudd center there's a professor called rebecca Poole, p-u-h-l who's done a lot of work in the space of weight stigma not only in terms of the prevalence of weight stigma but also the impact of weight stigma for both mental and physical health as well as uh, impact on health related behaviors across different settings. She's done a lot of great work, her and her team in the Rudd Center have, have published uh, a lot of work in that area. Um, and that's at the University of Connecticut. So um, certainly Rebecca Paul and, and some of that work is, is really great. Um, but you'll also see that there's a lot of research published in the space from weight stigma and healthcare. Um, and actually, you know, that that research dates back to the 1980s. And in the, in the 1980s, we were seeing that weight stigma was very evident within healthcare. So, you know, there's plenty of literature that um, that people can find. Um, and, you know, and likewise, I'm happy to uh, to converse with anybody who who would like to find out more or, or receive different types of uh, information or papers or other uh, about this topic. Amazing. Well, I think that's us. Thank you so much for your time. And I know it's been a, a long day. That's all right. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm sure it's going to be a great listen as well. Okay, great. Thanks. And that's our episode. I hope you would agree that it was a great listen indeed. Check out the show notes for all the resources mentioned in this episode, as well as more information on Dr. Flynn's research and contact details. Please let me know your thoughts. The best way would be at Willems via Instagram or Twitter. And please do share this episode and podcast in general with anyone you think might enjoy it. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great day and see you next week.